0: Have you ever picked up your Bible and wondered, where do I even start? I'm going to be sharing with you three tips on how to study your Bible. The first step is observation. That's just a big fancy word for what is going on in the Bible. There's different types of genre in the Bible. And so when you approach a text of scripture, you have to understand what the chapter and the book is really all about. You know, it's going to help you with your verses and the scripture that you're reading. And so it's like when you go to the library and you're picking out a book in different sections. Well, those sections are the categories in which the literature is listed. And so that's the case like with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You have the gospels, you have psalms, which is poetry. You have... Uh, Proverbs, which is wisdom literature, you have Genesis, you have Uh, Numbers, all of these different texts, which are you know narrative, and so all of these different categories are just basically what type of literature you're reading. So you wouldn't read something like Revelation in necessarily a literal sense, but you also wouldn't read Genesis in necessarily a poetic sense. Or maybe you maybe you would if you love thinking about the history of the world and the sky and how God created the expanse. It's very poetic, but it's meant to be read as a narrative. Does that make sense? So. When you're approaching the text of Scripture in the first step, you are going to be asking five simple questions. Who, what, where, when, and why. That first question is who is simply who's in the text of the Scripture. Who's the audience? Who's the main um person that it was addressed to. Maybe it was about a story, and so you're reading about maybe like King David, and he's the main character of the story. There's obviously other people in it, but he's the main character of that story. What is simply, what is this story trying to say? What is this passage of scripture trying to say? Where is, where did it happen? Where's the location of it? And how, or why is, why was this written in the word of God? And why did it take place? What is God trying to say? through it and what does his people in response to it do because of it and I had a first I had a professor in college and he used to tell everyone in our classroom you don't need to consult the commentaries before you finish this step like when we address scripture and we go to the bible You can understand 90% of what the Bible has to say simply by you just asking these observation questions. Before you even get to the next step, which we're about to get to, interpretation, you can understand exactly what's going on in the text of Scripture just by answering those five simple questions. And so that leads us into step two, which is interpretation. This is the part where you actually start to understand what the meaning of the text is and how it's being communicated to its audience, right? I think it's really important to remember that the Bible wasn't written to us, but it was written for us. There's a certain audience that was listening to the orator be able to communicate the Bible and the, and the scriptures, the Old Testament, to the people who were originally in that context. And once you complete this step of interpretation, you're able to frame out completely what it is that you want to to see and what the Bible is showing you through this step and there's two specific ways on how you do that. Um, the first way which I believe is the best way to study your Bible is exegesis and that just simply means to lead out of. I, exegesis is when you're studying the Bible you take into consideration everything that's happening within the text and the true meaning of what is being communicated and you draw it out like if you were going fishing and you went to throw your line into the into the lake the ocean or wherever you are, you are drawing out the fish out of that water. And you are drawing the meaning out of the text when you are going into it. And you're saying, all right, what does it have to say? And you're formulating and framing exactly what the text is saying, letting the words jump off the page. So you grab the meaning by the horns. And this way, Uh, With exegesis, you don't actually misinterpret the text and what it's saying. So, for example, if you were reading a passage of scripture and you found a meaning in the text that wasn't conclusive with the context, right? I always say that a text without a context is just a con. And I love that because literally when you are reading a text of scripture, you want to make sure that you're reading the whole context of scripture. So you don't take one verse out of context and apply it somewhere where it doesn't belong. And the other way is eisegesis. Eisegesis is to, means to lead into, which is injecting the your own idea into the text. And you make it mean whatever you want it to mean. So when Jesus said, count the cost, you can literally say, oh, well, he meant in your finances to count the cost. Or when you say count the cost, you can say, oh, he meant, you know, when you're going to the grocery store, make sure you're budgeting correctly. Like, That's not what Jesus was talking about in the context of that passage. Jesus was saying, count the cost of following me. Discipleship, living for Christ, he says, count the cost of what it looks like to follow me. And you have the text of scripture rightfully placed within its context. And so with eisegesis, I personally believe it's a really unfaithful way to preach and teach the word of God. I'm not contrasting that with Um, Or that's contrasted with topical sermons. So topical sermons can sometimes be borderline eisegesis. But for the most part, like we, we aim and strive for exegesis because eisegesis is putting your own meaning and your own interpretation into the text rather than allowing it to speak to you and allowing God to say what he wants to say through the text to the reader. And we just want to be faithful, right? We just want to be faithful Bible teachers and lovers and lovers of God that care about Jesus and his word. And I don't want to misrepresent what God has to say. And I'm sure that you sitting on the other side of the screen, you hate being taken out of context. I know that I do. If someone were to take something that I said and and to say it to somebody else and repeat it, and they didn't represent exactly what I had said in the correct, proper context, if I said, I love you, man, but they went and told them that I hated them, Well, they put their own meaning into that and they misinterpreted me. I said, I love you, but they told them that I hated them and that was not what I communicated at all. And so we want to be faithful believers and Christians that, you know, teach other people how to follow Jesus by communicating exactly what it is that God wants us to say and not misrepresent him uh, to the best of our ability. So one of the ways that we do that, and one of the tools is called interlinear. I will link down in the description below the website. It's called blueletterbible.com. It's free and it's amazing. You can go on there and look at the interlinear. You can look at commentaries. You can look at the Greek, the Hebrew, all of the original languages, see it in English or whatever native language you are. And you're able to go back in scri- into scripture to the original language and the audience and to be able to understand it to the best of your ability. And And all of those resources are free, and I absolutely love that. So with Interlinear, they give you the Greek words or Hebrew words, and they give you the original language and its meaning. And it's really powerful, right? Because some words in English don't really have the same effect as words in Greek. Like, for example, in English, we have the word love, right? But in Greek, we have four words for love. So therefore, words for love are eros, which is romantic or passionate love. It's like a relational, intimate relationship love. You have a phileo love, which is like, hey, you're my brother, right? Like we have brotherly love. Then you have storge love, which is parental love. It's to care for a child or a child caring for a parent. Or you have agape, which is unconditional love of mankind, God's love for the world, his sacrificial love. And so in the Greek, They're able to communicate four different ways how they love somebody. But today we're like, hey, I love you, man. Or babe, I love you so much. Or I love you, mom. Like, you're so great. Like, you know, like we're only able to say love you in one way. But in the Greek, they're able to say it four different ways. And I just, I love being able to study deeper because I'm a word nerd. So I'll dive super deep into scripture to find the meaning of the text. And there's also a really cool Blue Letter Bible app. And I have that link to our website on kingdomallegiance.net. If you go on our website, you look at the resources tab, we have all of the apps and anything that you could could need on there. And the Blue Letter Bible is right there for download for you guys. And um, tool number two is commentaries. This specific tool allows you to dive into the what the uh, Bible scholars and educators and people who have spent years and years and years studying their whole life, the way that our Bible has been passaged together, the way that our Bible has been put into chapters and verses, you know, when the Bible was first written and it was written down a papyrus and and different types of material, like they didn't have chapter and verse and like these scholars and these Bible thinkers like sat down to actually formulate this to make it easy for us to understand and to put it into layman's terms, to give us access to God's word and to make it simple for us. And so with commentaries, you're able to confirm the meaning of the text that you just studied and take it back to those who have done years, like 2000 years worth of study and are able to go back and to see, am I right in what I'm thinking? Like, do I see the audience? Do I see the writer? Do I see what God is trying to communicate here about maybe his plan of redemption or what he's trying to communicate to his people? And how can I then apply that to my life? And the commentaries have been really helpful for me. I don't go to them again first off, I don't go to them right away, because I want the Holy Spirit to teach me, right? The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit being your teacher, your counselor, wisdom, the spirit of truth and knowledge, and like he brings everything that you need into your heart and illuminates the word to you, and you can understand it in its fullness, and it's so refreshing to have other voices and people throughout history who have been given the same exact thing, and the Spirit confirms that through Other believers, and it's just so beautiful. So, some of my recommendations are David Guzik, Matthew Henry, David Guzik because he's pretty easy to understand. Matthew Henry just because of the depth of his study. Uh, Chuck Smith very easy to understand as well, and he's done a lot of great work. And then John MacArthur, um, he is has he goes like verse by verse, and it's really methodical and thought through, and I, I love that kind of study. So. It's super easy to read and it breaks it down for you step-by-step. If you've enjoyed uh, this video so far, make sure to smash that like button. And if you're new here, consider subscribing so you don't miss any future videos like this one. But the last step that we have for you is application. The application, and before I get all the way into application, let me just give a disclaimer. I had said this before, but the Bible was written for us, but not to us. There was a specific audience it was written to in Corinthians. It was written to the cor- the uh, Corinthians and uh, Ephesians. It was written in Ephesus. Like these different locations and people, like it still has application, but it was written to a specific people at a specific time. And so we just want to honor that and we, we want to consider those things before we jump right into it and say well this is for me. Well no it was for them it was for them at that time but I still can take biblical principles out of that and apply it to my life today. Remember this is not written in a western individualistic you know american culture this was written to a first century Middle Eastern Jewish context with their norms and lifestyles that may be very different than ours. I know, for example, that you know there's things that I think about when they talk about going and praying into your room. I think it's in Matthew where Jesus says, go into your room and pray and shut the door in secret. Then your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And I think about that and it's like, You know, I think of my house, my room, shutting the door, going by myself and being alone. But in other cultures and contexts, especially in Eastern, it's like, you know, your house is shared with everybody and you only have that room. So it's like it's not in a sense that it's privacy, but it's that when you seek God, he's faithful to meet you wherever you are and you seek him in that secret place. And that place with God is just you and him. And so, it's just, we have to keep in mind the context of what is going on here. And, you know, what is the author's intent and meaning of the passage? So, like, what is God trying to teach us to, or sorry, what is God trying to teach about himself to the hearers at that time? Like, What is God trying to say? What is he trying to communicate? What is his heart and what he's saying to his people? What is the context? What does this mean to the original audience? So before we ever ask, what does this mean to me? That's a terrible way to study the Bible. First off, what does this mean to the original audience? Once we get that understanding, then we can ask, what does it mean to me at the end? How did they receive this message? And what did that look like in their daily lives? You know, what is the universal principle that's being communicated? Does God want him to show himself as redeemer? Does God want his people to know that he's a healer? Does God want to know them to know that Jesus came and he's the true Messiah, risen from the dead, gave his life as a living sacrifice? He's the blood-purchased, spotless lamb, the perfect son that lives sinless? What is being communicated in this passage of Scripture? And what can we learn about God and his character? Like this passage talking about like God's wrath? Is this passage talking about God's love? Is this passage talking about God's grace? What can we learn about God in this specific passage of scripture? And then finally, how do we see the redemptive plan of God being worked out in this audience's life? What does that look like for us? For them First. But then what does it look like for us? What can we learn from that principle of God's redemptive plan and his work? Because the Bible's a story. And the story is about Jesus. And it's all about what God has done for humanity. It has never been about what humanity has done for God. The hero in the story is God. The hero in the story is Jesus. Jesus is the one that gets all the glory and all the honor and all the credit for everything that he's done. It is to worship and to glorify and to give magnification to the name of Christ. And I love that about scripture. And part of application is this last step, is how do we apply the principles that we've learned in the Bible to our lives today? What are some heart issues that I see in the text that can maybe apply to me? What are these truths about God in this passage that I can learn about Him today? And how do these truths that I just found change the way I view Him and the way that I view the world, right? We're seeking this channel helps you to see Jesus and to see the world through a biblical lens. How can I look at the world and see what God has done And how can I approach every situation with a biblical world worldview? How can I approach the world with a biblical worldview? I look at everything going on around me, politics, government school and education, family and relationships. I look at everything around me and how can I approach it with a biblical lens What I what I just learned about God, what I just learned about his people, and what he wants me to know about how I'm supposed to live my life in response to that. And the fourth step, the bonus tip, is this before I ever start my study in scripture, I always commune with the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? I just abide in him. That means I pray, I talk, I worship, I sing, I pray. So what does a prayer like that look like? I say something like this, Holy Spirit, I ask you to show me Jesus in these pages of the scriptures. The Bible is a love letter and I want to know and understand you and who you are and how I'm to respond to what you're saying in your word. Something simple like that. It can be Jesus, show me you through these scriptures. To commune with God and to to pray, to focus on the Lord before I even open up his word, gives my full attention and everything that I am over to him. It takes the focus off of me and puts it fully on Him. The point of communing with Him is to just simply connect with Him. Just connect with Jesus and just allow Him to to come right here because He lives inside of us. But it's my awareness of Him and His presence and acknowledging that He's right there with me and allow Him to speak to me. And to say, God, I'm open, humble myself, right? The Bible says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. I want to humble myself before him so that he will draw near as I draw near to him. And simply the reason why I commune with God is because I love him. I want to love him with my heart, my soul, my mind and all my strength. I'm giving all that I am over to the pages of scripture and saying, change me, shape me, mold me, transform me. And do what you want to do with me. And I love you with everything that I am, Jesus.